Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 15 of The Bank. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. Um, I'm Jordan Coe. We both write at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Feel free to check us out there or join us on the uh, forums that, and message boards that we've got over there. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BSL Jordan Coe. He's at Gabe Fergie. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys, hear about what's going on. But um, Gabe, we're, we're, we're getting close. It's almost time to have real football. I, you know, I think, I think to start this off, you know, I think it's Tuesday um, or tomorrow <laughs> that we're going to see rookies have to report. I think they get their tests and they start to check in and they actually have to show up the castle. Um, I assume they've already been there to sign contracts and things, but I don't know. Um, so we're, we're, we're right there on the cusp. What do you, how do you think this is all going to get started? Well, like you said, it's, it's going to get started just by making sure everybody is healthy and disease free. So that's clearly the most important step in this process right now. And it's going to be quite the process because, you know, we have what, 75, 80, maybe 90 players coming through that everybody has to get tested. Everybody has to be given a period of time to make sure that they're, you know, coronavirus free. Um, and then I think this is going to be a giant experiment because we've never had anything like this at, at this kind of number of, of players um, The you know, the other team sports are much smaller roster. So it's going to be interesting. Um, hopefully, you know, everybody is healthy and we, we have a very low number of tests. I know there've been a few tests already. I think they've across the league, there've been like 2% positive um, cases. So I would expect there to be something along those lines, you know, spread out across the league. Um, but hopefully, you know, being careful about it, they will keep it, um, anybody who is positive isolated and it won't be an issue as, as training camp progresses. Yeah, I think, I think baseball is going to be an interesting group to watch, um, just due to the sheer size of a baseball roster, um, you know, compared to, to basketball, it's going to be a good indicator of how this thing might go and whether or not like, you know, a couple positive tests on a team can, can spiral out of control, um, you know, we've also got the NBA starting here in what, 11 days. And there's a report out today that there were no positive tests amongst players that are inside their bubble right now. Um, so it seems like they're onto something about how to get that to work. And I think it always seemed fair that basketball was going to be the closest or the easiest to pull something together. And so props to Adam Silver and to what they've done over there. Uh, but I think there are real questions with football about how this is all going to go. I mean, there's no way you can quarantine all these guys together. There's no way you can avoid contact. I mean, if you just look at the reality of the situation, teams are going to get hit by this thing. Players are going to miss games. Um, it's 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 an interesting overlay to kick off a training camp. Yeah, I think without a doubt, there's definitely going to be you know some positive cases that happen. And I think it's just really going to test the protocols that the league and teams have put into place in order to um, keep those cases isolated and keep them spreading throughout the entire team. Um, and, and I think they, what I, from what I've heard, there is a pretty good plan in place in which players are very committed to just doing this very strict kind of routine of just going to the, the training facilities, 
just interacting with the team um, and then basically just going straight home and, and trying to avoid anything outside of that. It's basically, you know, live, breathe football, go home, eat dinner, go to bed, that kind of thing. I mean, I think the, the facilities are going to be providing food. Um, and, and in the case of, of any, um, you know, players who have extended family that might be at risk, I think even those players are going to be put up in like hotels or apartments away from their, their families just to make sure that there's no um, chance of, of spreading that way either. So I do think that there is a pretty good plan in place. I know that the NFL and the Players Association have been going back and forth for quite some time now to try and like hammer out all the details. And it looks like we're, you know, we're getting close to an agreement here. I think what the most recent thing I've seen is is one preseason game or zero preseason games. It hasn't fully been decided yet, but it's definitely cut down on that. And, um, you know, there may be a slight delay in the start of the season, but I think the NFL has plans for how they would, um, you know, figure that out as well. So I think we're just going to go ahead and, and hope for the best at this point. Yeah. Well, the NFL came out today and offered the NF- NFLPA just an hour ago, no preseason games. So I think there's, there's a good chance there's no preseason. I, I, I wonder if the preseason doesn't even survive this cut this year um, and it might be gone forever, like these joint practices or something else comes into place. But, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting overlay in sports of whether or not COVID is actually going to change how some of these things are implemented. I mean, we see that in baseball with some of the different rules and things. So, you know, I think this is probably, this is one area in football where we might see a a permanent change. I think the other is um, roster sizes and practice squads. Um, I think teams are going to find that there's not a whole lot of harm in having bigger practice squads and having bigger rosters. Um, And the teams aren't going to have a problem carrying a few more players. And obviously I don't think the NFLPA is going to have a problem with it either. Yeah, so I, I didn't see that latest report. Um, was there anything about how the, the teams are planning or how the NFL is planning on handling the, the salary cap situation? Because I think that was a touching point, too, that there was some going back and forth about that. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, it was just that the, about the testing that they had already released about and then just specifically that uh, no preseason games this summer. Yeah, because... Um, you know, there's projected, you know, revenue loss of something close to potentially $4 billion, which is a pretty big number. And that's going to um, obviously impact not only the owner's pockets, but also the salary cap because the revenue is, you know, directly proportional to how much teams have to spend. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how they are able to kind of bargain um, whether or not that that money is going to be spread out over a number of years or if it's going to be a, a hit up front. I know the players want to spread it out and the, and the owners kind of want to have the players take that hit in the upcoming season. So maybe there'll be some compromising on that front as well. Yeah. I don't see how I think that it's posturing by the owners to ask for it to be all at once. Um, Cause that's going to take the salary cap to an untenable place and it's going to make the sport and the outcome pretty, pretty bad and negative overall. Um, but it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Luckily the Ravens are in, solid position with 65 million on the cap rate today as they head into next year with more than a couple guys that I think aren't going to be here um, next year as well. So, um, you know, teams like the Ravens are to the advantage on things like that. I think teams like the chiefs that have big deals coming for Chris Jones and Mahomes and, and are going to be a little bit riskier are going to be, could be, could be in a little bit more trouble both in the short term and the longer term, because 
the Ravens are going to have the advantage where they get to structure these deals the way they want them. I think, you know, we've talked about Matt Judon and his value to this team. You know, I, I think this leaves Judon in a position where he's essentially cooked, um, you know, in, in terms of his career as a Raven, just because they're not going to have the cash to keep him. Um, and no one else is either. So, so maybe he stays on a cheaper deal, but either way, it's going to be advantage Ravens. They're, they're going to be one of the teams with more cap space, which is kind of, really insane to think about from the perspective of them being the one seed this past season and then two seasons away from that kind of being exceptionally positioned for the cap. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly a lot of teams that are in kind of what I would consider, you know, a bad situation. If, if the cap is going to take even like a 25 to $30 million hit, there's a lot of teams that are pretty like pretty stacked with like older veteran talent. Um, and they're hoping to, you know, win this year, next year, and they don't really have the young nucleus of a team like the Ravens, for instance. So the Ravens are definitely in good position moving forward. Although I think it's going to, going to be tough for every team, um, even teams that, you know, are are more on the low end of the of the salary cap. It's, it's they probably have a plan in place for the for the next few years coming up, and and this is going to really make them figure out how to adjust on the fly. And that's going to be true for every team in the NFL. Yeah, and the salary cap numbers where you're looking a year down the road are inflated across the board. Every team's got somebody that or two that they probably were planning on cutting in any given year. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean anything in particular, but the Ravens do head into um, next season with 60, $65 million on the cap, which is the eighth highest total in, in the NFL going into the season. Um, so, you know, it, it's nice to it's nice to finally kind of be out of the Ray Rice cap um, problems that that created when they cut him. Um, there is not talked about a lot, but that cascaded down those contracts. I think part of what happened with Flacco was related to Rice um, downstream and, and th those, they were paying for that decision um, down the road. I think it was the right call by the Ravens, but um, I think they finally kind of turned the corner in, in getting their cap righted. And hopefully they're not going to have another big deal that they've got um, to stomach that's going to go the wrong way like that one did. Yeah, it was. I think it was a combination of Ray Rice and Haloti Nada too. Um, he was he had a kind of very backloaded contract that had kind of gotten to pretty egregious levels in the last couple of years he was here. And as his play kind of declined, it was really difficult to stomach that. And you know that's why he was he was eventually traded. Um, I think that they tried to just get as much as they could out out of that but situation. Um, but I guess bringing that back to the here and now, um, the training camp is is coming around, and there are you know a few kind of interesting storylines I think that we would like to think about. Um, what's what's something that really stands out for you as we as we're you know just a few days away from actual football? Yeah, the first one for me is Mascara's health. I think you know. We, we, there's been a lot of speculation about what's going to happen to the Ravens offensive line. Um, and I am, we, we've talked about this a little bit on um, kind of some of these previous podcasts about the draft and what we thought the Ravens might be doing. Um, but I, I, you know, I want to know what the extent of his injury looks like. And I want to know where his status is. Is he going to be a guy um, that's on the physically unable to perform list right away? Is it, is it going to be that he's on that early in camp so he can work out and then they're going to release him off of that a little bit later so they can see him play 
um, if he is a if he is a known entity to be able to start the year at center, um, and the doctors have cleared him, and he has he's ready from a overall health perspective, that's a huge boost to the Ravens. Um, all of a sudden, you're bringing four guys back on an offensive line that know each other. You only have to fill one spot, and you've got essentially four different guys that you're going to be able to give a crack um, to see what it looks like Skur is going to do. Um, so I think that could that that's one of the two areas that I worry the most about on this team heading into the training camp. So it's going to be the thing that I'm probably paying attention to the most. Yeah, I think center is definitely interesting. Although I wouldn't say I'm, I'm too concerned about it just because I think that there are a number of different directions that the Ravens could go with it. I think um, Riley Bozeman has played some center um, in college. So, you know, he's playing left guard, obviously for the Ravens the past, I guess, season and a half. Um, but he's someone who could potentially fill that role. And then also we saw, you know, Patrick McCarry uh, slide in last year as an undrafted uh, rookie. And, and I thought he played quite well. You know, he doesn't quite have the size uh, as maybe as some of the other guys, but he, he he was a rookie. And I think you can get, you know, functionally stronger as, as you spend more time and um, working out. Um, I know there hasn't been like the NFL offseason that's typical where you have players kind of come in and, and maybe change their bodies a little bit. Um, and I think that's something that's going to be interesting to see is, you know, some of the players that are coming into their second seasons, how they, how they progress from their first season into the second season. Um, so generally you have that, that first, that first year in the NFL program, the tra training program. Um, I think that is a pretty big advantage to the players who are coming in as a compared to a rookie. Um, so guys like Jalen Ferguson, for instance, who, you know, kind of came in with like a college body last year. He didn't really look like an NFL player. He had good size, like good length. He's very like long and, and tall, but he wasn't really rocked up like a lot of like your NFL defensive linemen are. Um, I wonder what he looks like. You know, I think we've seen some players make big transformations. And is is he a player who's not going to have that transformation? And is that going to slow his development? Yeah, well, you know, we've talked about Hollywood Brown and and already what we've seen him do from his personal development. I mean, if we we run through a list of guys that are interesting in in that regard to me, I think um, I think Tavon Young falls onto that list. Um, how did how is he going to respond to being out for the entirety of last year? Probably not being able to work out if it was like a neck impingement thing, um, and being worried about being worried about that piece. Um, I'm trying to think if there are other guys that I put on that list and kind of that second year era, I, you know, I think Justice Hill's a guy that, you know, is he, what condition is he going to be in? Are we going to see the kind of burst and and quickness out of him that, that his college film showed? Um, and is that something he's going to be able to put onto film? And I think Averitt and Iman Marshall are two guys to watch there too. And that's not so much physicality, right? Like, I think you're right. Guys on the offensive line and guys on the defensive line are playing edge like he, he would have been um, are, are different questions altogether. Um, but I think that there's a really interesting question of one, can Averitt turn into something that's worth keeping around or two, can Marshall turn into a guy that the Ravens can count on? Um, and, and I think they're going to get their opportunities in camp to, to show that early on. Yeah. And, and I think another guy who falls into that same category, um, would be Miles Boykin who, you know, the Ravens drafted in the third round last year. Um, he has top tier athletic traits coming out of college. Um, and he was on the field a decent amount as a rookie, but never kind of got his his footing, I think, in the NFL. And 
is is that leap going into a second season something that we'll see? You know, I, th- I think right now he's probably projected to be a starter in the in the, in the Ravens' offense. Um, they they didn't really bring in any um, veteran wide receivers to give him competition. You know, we, they did draft a couple of rookies, but they don't really translate necessarily to the outside position as much as as a, more of a, a slot players. I think that the Ravens drafted. Um, so you know, I think that's his position to, to kind of lose, and he'll be thrown. Into into that position and given every opportunity to, to succeed. Um, but without having a regular off season, without having to, you know, there's been some ability to, to have passing camps with Lamar, but, um, you know, I'm curious to see how, how he's going to look. And, and that's a player that I'll definitely be having my, my eye on as well. Yeah. You know, I remember him more favorably, um, just generally speaking than I think you you saw in terms of outcome from him. So I think that that is really interesting. And I think the other part of that is that the Ravens don't really have somebody else that's going to be able to replace him. Like you were saying, the closest is going to be Jaleel Scott. Um, and is that something that he can step forward on? He's a guy that's he's cut. Um, and, and, you know, I think if there's an opportunity for him to, to turn that opportunity into something that, that could be one of them. Um, but I don't see another big body kind of like physical receiver that you want playing across from Hollywood, you know, do the Ravens do more of what we saw last year where they bring in these bunches or maybe not bunches, but you see these tighter formations, um, where you've got two slot guys stacked up next to each other. Um, you got a slot guy stacked up right behind, you know, a tight end. So you've got a two tight end set and really it's, it's Hollywood, two tight ends or running back and, and, um, and Ricard or something like that. Um, the Ravens have a lot of options that they can go on there. And I think it's really going to be up to our be up to Boykin to show what he's going to be able to do there. It's going to be his spot to lose. Um, You're right. But I think he's going to have to show more than he showed last year. It seems like he got reps for the sake of getting reps last year. Um, And I think that's not going to be good enough this year. Yeah, and we did. Um, I did mention the two the rookies that the Ravens drafted, and, and Devin Duvernay and uh, James Proch or Prochet. I'm not exactly sure how you say that. Um, I've heard both. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how they fit into the offense as well. Um, you know, you know, as as you're well aware, uh, Harbaugh tends to not, you know, give rookies a, a ton of snaps out the gate. Um, so I'm wondering how much they'll be, you know, utilized. I think that there's clearly a, a hierarchy, as we talked about in the wide receivers. You have you have Hollywood, you have Boykin, and you have Willie Sneed, who's you know kind of your prototypical slot receiver. Um, and then you have two guys who kind of look a lot like Sneed and kind of have similar roles in college um, and are very effective slot receivers. Are they going to be able to get on the field as a rookie? Are they going to be competing with each other? Um, are the Ravens going to get creative in how they use them? I, I think it'll be interesting to see um, what roles those two guys have this year. Well, someone's going to have to take Seth Roberts' snaps. Um, and he was a slot guy. You know, that's what he was in Oakland. And and um, he was good enough last year. I mean, I think he was a wide receiver. <laughs> and, and he gave kind of the Ravens your, your league average or slightly below wide receiver slot play. Um of what you might expect for what they paid for it. So, you know, who's going to take there. He took up, I, I want to say he took a fair number of snaps. Um, so I think he might've been the second most snaps on the, on the Ravens in terms of wide receivers um, after Brown, I think. Yeah. Well, actually probably Sneed was ahead of him too. So, but he was on the field a lot. I think he was on the field like 50% of the offensive snaps. 
So Definitely. someone's going to have to take those snaps. And like you said, the the Ravens have not been a team that has always given rookies a chance, but alternately Boykin got a lot of those reps as that X receiver right out of the gate. Um, and John Harbaugh seemed to really be excited when DuVernay was drafted by the Ravens. Um, so I think the inside track goes to him and it'll be interesting to watch him, but they took two guys that caught the ball a ton in college yeah. uh, and, and caught it all over the field. And so, you know, it's hard to say how much more, uh, you know, two guys are going to have or be able to bring to the table as rookies until you actually see them in training camp. But I think you're definitely right that they're two guys to watch. I think the other side of that for the Ravens in terms of the receiving core is also the tight ends and not just I mean, Nick Boyle and Mark Andrews are going to be what they're going to be. They're going to play a lot of snaps barring health um, and they're going to be a big part of this offense. But there are three guys kind of sitting behind them. Um, Scarf, who was on the practice squad all of last year, former Delaware tight end. Ravens love their former <laughs> Delaware like tight ends and players. I think that the Ravens think that the University of Delaware is their like secret place to to get players from. Um, but they also took Breland, who was an injury guy out of Oregon, and then Wolf, a guy out of Georgia. Um, and I think we're looking at we're looking at an opportunity where one of those guys is probably going to be on the roster on opening day. Um, and probably both the other guys are going to end up on the practice squad. Um, so they're all going to get real chances to play. And I think that there's a real case for whoever doesn't make the team staying with the Ravens on the practice squad, because it's your best chance to get reps as a tight end um, in any system in, in the NFL right now. Yeah. The Ravens are definitely one of the top three teams in the NFL in terms of how much they use um, their tight ends. I think they're right up there with, um, I think, uh, Philadelphia, Houston, uh, maybe Tennessee, were some of the other teams that really have a, two tight ends on the field, but at least two tight ends on the field, at a very high number of snaps. Ravens use three tight ends probably more than anybody else. Um, they did that a lot last year with um, when, when Hayden Hurst was was on the team as well. And I was, you know, looking at the snaps that he had. He had 500 snaps last year as the third tight end. Essentially, um, he I think he might have even outsnapped. Uh, uh, Mark Andrews, um, and a- Andrews was actually had a lot fewer snaps than you might think because you know he was banged up a little bit, and he also was really used mostly as a pass catcher. He he pretty much was very um, shifted, biased towards the the pass catching routes versus the uh, the blocking assignment. So um, he's probably wanted to be on the field more, but. I do wonder if the Ravens are interested in bringing in, you know, maybe a, a veteran tight end too. You know, I, I recently wrote that Delaney Walker might be an option. Um, he's, you know, he's been around for a very long time. He's been a very good tight end in the league for a long time. Um, you know, maybe not the same player he was, you know, three or four years ago, but I think he can block. He's somebody who's a pretty reliable pass catcher. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the free agency market looks like right now. I think there's so many complications going on with COVID. It's, it's really hard to, to say because there are a ton of unsigned free agents that this, um, that are probably players that could be have impacts on, on teams. Um, and, and Walker's one of those guys. Um, I, I don't know if the Ravens are interested. Maybe they are just going to try and rely on, on, he said the two undrafted guys and, and Scarf, who was, I think, undrafted the previous year. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I think they're going to have to wait and see what they have. Cause they don't know yet. You know, they, they signed a couple guys and they don't, 
they, they see some college production, but how does that translate to the NFL? And and they won't know until they actually see them like on practice field, which hasn't happened. So maybe that's what teams are waiting for to kind of see what, what the undrafted guys, what the rookies are going to bring. And they, then you can really evaluate what your roster looks like. Yeah. You know, my issue with that is that generally speaking, rookie NFL tight ends suck. <laughs> <laughs> Even the ones that have been drafted really highly, like, like expecting, like when you go into a season expecting more than 500 yards receiving from a rookie tight end, that's 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 pretty far ahead of the rest of the class, right? So you're talking about two undrafted tight ends um, for the Ravens this year. To think that they're going to make any bigger impact than blocking seems like it could be a little bit of a stretch. So I think Scarf has probably got the inside track. Um, he was on the practice squad all of last year, so he certainly has the intention um you know of the team um so you know and i, I guess he's got i guess he, boyle's probably repping for him as well um like while he's <laughs> in there so um he's got that going for him you know breeland was an interesting guy you know he got hurt six games in but he had six touchdowns in six games made big strides as a, early on as a as a senior um but obviously you know got missed the last eight games of the season would have been really nice to know what they had in him there but it's a a nice wild card for the ravens um but, you know, I also tend to think the Ravens didn't think they needed another tight end because when they were down to the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds of the draft, there were some names on the board that I thought they might take a shot on. I thought they were going to take a shot on Moss's son. Um, I thought that would have been a worthwhile stab for them. Um, and there were a couple other names. I can't remember who they were, but I just felt like the Ravens really didn't seem like tight end was an area where they felt like they needed to add to. And so maybe that was Scarf. And maybe that is just that, that this wasn't the right class, or maybe as they knew that, that none of those guys were going to make an impact in the short term and they didn't like them enough for the long term. You know, who knows? Yeah, I, I think there's you know a lot of potential factors at play here. Um, one of them is something that you've mentioned in the past, which is Patrick Ricard. And maybe they, they see him more as kind of like a wing back, H back type player who can be a little bit more involved in in the passing game as kind of like a movement type type player that they can um, use in, in more ways than he was used last year as more more of a traditional fullback. Um, so that could be part of their thinking. Also, maybe they want to kind of get the wide receivers a little bit more involved. You know, I think that there's a chance to be a little bit more explosive, a little more vertical in the passing game when you have three wide receivers on the field as opposed to three tight ends. Um, obviously your, your run game can be affected, but you know, maybe the Ravens are going to try and run out of the spread a little bit more. Um, I think with, with fast athletes, like the Ravens have on that roster, maybe that's kind of the direction that they're thinking about taking this offense in. And if that's the case, then it's, you know, two Titans can be still very effective in that. Um, but if you have, you know, three, even four wide receivers on the field and you can, and you can run effectively out of that, then that's kind of a, a dynamic um, offensive set. So, you know, they, they might not see that that third tight end position as being as being so important. And they kind of just use what they had last year because they had three good tight ends. Uh, now they have two good tight ends and they'll, they'll just use what they have. Yeah, you know, we won't find any of that information out in, in training camp, but I think you're totally right. I mean, I would love, I think I said this right when the season ended last year when we first kicked off this podcast, I'd love to see the Ravens focus on getting more vertical in the first quarter or half of the season and, and tuning up that passing game early, make, forcing themselves to kind of figure out what works and doesn't work and put it on film, replace it with a running game later in the year, and then kind of double stack it once they get to the playoffs as they push through. 
Um, so hopefully, hopefully we do see, you know, some more of those rotations, but, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how those end up breaking down. I think also coming back to the offensive line, not just, you know, I, 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 I think that Skur is a little bit different to me in the sense that he's heading into his third year. I think he's a smarter player. I think the Ravens were able to protect Makari a little bit. Um, I think they also got exposed um, in the Titans game a little bit for having Makari in there. I think, you know, um, but Yonda could help Makari. Stanley could help Bozeman. And they were all kind of set in that in that regard. If you bring Skurra in, you kind of have an ability to be sliding in different directions and not be as, as obvious. And I think maybe, and, and this is an interesting thing to maybe go back and watch in the Titans game to see if Yonda was sliding um, to help Makari the whole game. And that, that was part of the problem. And the Titans were kind of onto that. Um, but, I, you know, I'm really interested to see how those combos of, of center and right guard as Skurra isn't able to play. Um, and, and I think, you know, the Ravens have said Bozeman could potentially be in the mix and moving back to center too. Um, you know, a position that he played in college, but there are all kinds of funky combinations that these guys um, can bring together based on who they have on the roster right now. Um, and I'm interested to see kind of who gets the first crack at right guard. Um, I think, I think it's gotta be Fluker just cause he's, he's the, the vet, but the Ravens have shown at least on the offensive line, um, that they're willing to move on from that pretty quickly and they know what they like and, and they know if they have it or if they don't have it. Yeah, I, I think Fluker is is definitely someone who's going to be in the mix. Um, and I kind of agree with you that he'll get the first crack. Uh, that, that tends to be the, the hardball way of giving the, the vet um, you know, the first look, especially when there's not really a, a specific player who is set in, in that position. Um, and... I think he's actually kind of found that niche as, as an offensive guard. And, you know, he started out as a tackle, didn't play very well, moved over to guard. And I, th- I think he's kind of um, reinvigorated his career. And, and maybe, uh, especially on a team like, like the Ravens, that where a, a guy like him who's big and powerful um, and can move people in the run game, uh, I think that might, you know, give him a chance to really shine. And then, you know, potentially, if, if you're talking about Bozeman moving to center, Maybe you can plug in uh, Phillips at, at left guard and have two really huge, big offensive guards, um, two big offensive tackles, and have just like a really big offensive line. Um, I, that might be an interesting way of doing it. Um, you know, he was a third round pick by the Ravens. So I think that there's a chance that he slides into that starting uh, lineup as um, the left guard or potentially the right guard. Um, I'm not sure how that would crack out. We'd have to obviously wait and see what they do, but I think that's a, that's a, that's an interesting um, starting five there. Yeah. And and that's not even to mention Breedson, Breedison, Breedson or um, Ben Powers. Yeah. You know, and, and the Ravens, you know, and I mentioned this on the Baltimore sports and life.com message board. You guys should definitely join us in some of these conversations that we have in a bit more depth there. Um, but the Ravens deserve the benefit of the doubt in offensive linemen and wherever they draft them, you know, I had Bozeman was a sixth round pick. Makari was undrafted. Skura was undrafted. Um, you know, Orlando Brown was a third round pick. Um, these are guys that, you know, other, other teams did not think we're going to be starting caliber players or certainly not in, in the timeline and the way that the Ravens have turned them into those in the history for kind of Wagner and Jensen and other guys, you know, goes way back for the Ravens pedigree of choosing these guys right. Um, and I don't know that we're not undercounting powers a little bit and the Ravens, what they liked about him, 
gave him a year in the system, let him learn, let him observe, let him get stronger. And then they're going to just cut him loose this year. And maybe, maybe he gets the first crack at starting right guard. Um, and Skur and Makari are fighting it out for center. And these other guys are just depth. Yeah. I mean, the good news is the Ravens do have depth. I think that, well, at least I hope that the the cream will rise to the top and that the Ravens will, will be able to, you know, field the best five. And, and that's kind of what we're just hoping for. I, I think it'll be a solid, if not um, outstanding offensive line. And, and these things generally tend to improve as the season progresses. And the good news is that there is depth there. So if, if there's an injury, if there's underperformance that, that the next man up can always, can always find his, his role. Um, so we talked mostly offense. Um, what, what about the defensive side of the ball? Is there anything um, over there that you're looking forward to seeing in the, um, you know, in, in these training camp? Yeah. You know, Matt Abuke is a guy that is not being talked about out of this draft class. I think enough. Um, a lot of people had him at, you know, third or fourth best defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman going into the draft. And he would have been a guy that I would have been happy when the Ravens were picking in the second to have taken. Um, and the fact that they were able to wait longer than that and still get him, I'm, I'm really interested to see if like he gets a crack and a roll. Um, at the same time, you know, you've seen guys like Pierce come in undrafted dominating camp and then absolutely get a crack as a rookie. And then you see a guy like Dalen Mack who is drafted in the fourth round and didn't seem like he got much of even a look in training camp. And certainly, certainly kind of, it all went downhill from there. So, you know, he's an interesting guy to see what kind of reps he's getting to. Um, but again, you're not going to, it's not going to tell you anything during training camp, but Matabuke is a guy that really intrigues me as having real potential upside as, of being kind of the Orlando Brown of this draft. I mean, I, I don't think he fell for the same reasons, but a guy that was in some some conversations late first, early second, really, you know, early on going where he went in the Ravens navigant. Perfect system fit in that regard for the Ravens to build him up. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in full agreement with you. I do think he's kind of um, slid underneath the radar. He, he doesn't play a, a very sexy position. I guess you would say, you know, he's he's like a defensive tackle, maybe play some five technique for the Ravens. Um, but I was I was extremely excited about that pick. Uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think he could have been taken in the second round, and nobody would have added an eyelash. Um, he's a very athletic um, defensive tackle. He's got good size. Um, I th I think he can play his way into a very prominent role in the in the defense, especially with the number of kind of um, sub packages that the Ravens like to use. I think he might be one of those sub package defensive tackles. Um, that gets a, a pretty prominent role um, on passing downs and is able to um, be in there as a, as a three technique who can get after the, the quarterback as an interior uh, pass rusher. And, you know, I, I it's going to be interesting to see what the Ravens do with their defensive line, um, who they give the snaps to, um, what, what kind of personnel that they use. Um, but I, I can envision a, a, a situation where the, where the Ravens use Calais Campbell as as kind of a defensive end as an edge guy, and then you have Meta Pique and and Derek Wolf as your defensive tackles, and then you have Judon on the other edge. And that, that, to me, that's like on paper a pretty devastating front four. Um, and then you can you know have some really athletic linebackers, whether it's Bowser, um, you know maybe even a guy like McPhee. You can move around. Um, you can 
you can have, you know, Queen Harrison as, as blitzers. I'm really excited to see what the Ravens do. And I think having a guy like Metabuke who can rush the passer from, you know, the three technique position, from five technique position, from the nose tackle position, um, in combination with, you know, guys like Campbell and Wolf, who are also versatile pass rushers. I think, I think, you know, among those, those guys up front, it's going to be a really, um, impressive kind of defensive line that is going to just do things that the Ravens defensive line hasn't been able to do in quite a while. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's going to be, uh, again, probably not a training camp story, but I think that the two things that I'm going to be watching once the season kicks off are the offensive formations that the Ravens are rolling out and how they're approaching offense earlier in the year and what the heck they're going to do on the defensive line, particularly in passing situations. They've got they've got the most interesting defensive line they've had for, for really quite some time. Um, and, and, and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a real opportunity for, you know, them to, to be able to do some real damage up front and rush for and actually get a four man pass rush going. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, um, we saw like last year, a fourth round of draft pick who didn't, it didn't make, who barely played, you know, in, in Dale and Mac. And, I think the NFL is a meritocracy when it comes down to it. And if you don't flash in, in practice, if you don't flash in preseason, if you don't flash in, in the limited opportunities you get, you're not going to give be given a role, even a rotational role in, in, in the NFL. Um, and, and we'll have to see it from Matabuke. I mean, we don't know because we only have his college film to game off, to go off of. But I, I agree with you that the Ravens do potentially have a really strong uh, front four who could be um, a really – lethal four-man pass rush and and they have some you know a number of different players who could come in and fill different roles on too it's not just the four i mentioned before um so you can see a lot of different you know mix and matching of personnel and i i don't know i i think wink martindale is still going to be wink martindale he's still going to blitz a lot um but not having to rely on the blitz on every single passing down essentially is is going to really give give him a few more I think options and a little bit more creativity um, and how, and how we can deploy his defense. Yeah. You know, I really hope he doesn't blitz as much as if he doesn't have to, um, you know, obviously you're better kind of dropping back more guys if you can. Um, but, you know, we'll see, we'll see kind of how that shakes down and looks like, I mean, I think the other area that you look at on the defensive side is inside linebacker. But, you know, the nice part about, I mean, even on both sides of the ball, you, you don't have as many new faces coming in, but on the defense, even more so, um, you know, I, I think the Ravens really reduced the amount of snaps their inside linebackers were taking last year, the defensive line rotations, all those were pretty much straightforward. And frankly, you know, beyond Pierce being gone, a lot of those same guys are back. And so, we're going to see Queen and Harrison, I think, get some snaps. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be a huge shift in, in kind of how the Ravens have to approach the defense. And so it'll be interesting to watch their roles in training camp, but I think they're both going to get a lot of snaps in training camp. Um, and it's going to be what we expected. And then we're going to see them either perform on the field, like you just said, or lose their roles because they're not flashing when it's game time. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to to watch for. Um, one is, is Patrick Queen going to be given the kind of keys to the castle as like your, your three down uh, Mike linebacker is, is, is he going to be down there on, on every single snap? Um, and, and like you said, I think it's going to depend on how he plays. If, if he can jump, come in, you know, right from the start and be very effective as that player, I think he will be given more and more responsibility in that role. Um, but if he struggles, then, you know, the Ravens will have options. They, 
they used a ton of dime last year, almost 50% of the snaps. And I think that's something that we'll, we could definitely see again if, if the linebackers aren't cutting it. Um, there's also still um, LJ Fort on the team. He was a really good um, sub-package linebacker for the Ravens. I think he will continue to be an option in that role. Um, I don't know how many snaps that he will have with, with the two rookie linebackers, but I think he will still be out there in some packages for sure. And then, and then Harrison, I mean, we don't really know exactly, is he, is he a guy who the Ravens just look at as kind of the, the, you know, two down linebacker, like the, the run stuffer, um, typical to what we've, you know, seen with, um, I don't, I'm trying, trying to think of some, some guys who are that role, uh, but he's not like, he's definitely not the most nimble in terms of his coverage skills. He's more of a, of a kind of put your nose in there and like, snuff out the run play kind of player, but you know, he's, he's more athletic than I think he might be given credit for too. So honestly, it's, it's kind of a guessing game at this point. Um, we don't know how they're going to look in, in the Ravens defense. And, and frankly, um, we're probably not going to see much until the, the games get started, because if we don't even have a, a preseason, we're just going to be like uh, listening to, to camp reports and, and hoping we have some kind of accurate picture. I think we're going to see the same thing we saw with Peanut and Kenny Young last year, where the Ravens are going to give them four games to get their their act together. And if they don't, then they're going to rotate out of that and figure out something else to do and work. let them work their way back if, it, if they can. And if they can't, take it away. Um, and, and so I think Queen has the best shot to kind of have a longer leash on some of that. But Look, if these guys over pursue, get outside their run fits and their lanes in the same way that those guys did, you know, you you basically got half the tandem that replaced them with Bottins and Fort last year still on the roster. Um, you, you don't have to go far to be able to replace them um, and see those snaps disappear. So I, I think you're right. They're they're just gonna they're gonna get their shot, and and we're gonna see whether or not they can handle it, and we're gonna see how pro <laughs> those defenses were in at LSU and Ohio State last year. Um, and whether or not those guys are ready to step up and, and step in. Yeah, I, I, th- I think best case scenario, you you have you have Harrison step into that Josh Bynes role. Um, and I guess that's the name I was searching for earlier. You know, the guy who's who's really solid against the run, who's who's not going to make big mistakes, um, who's who knows his assignment, um, who's got some physicality to him, and and, and you know he he can play the pass too if if needed. Um, but that's not really where he's going to excel. And then. I think you have you still have Fort, obviously, and then then Queen, who I think kind of fills. Um, he's kind of like the, the hybrid of, of all of them. He can, you know, do well in, in all phases. Um, he is probably a little small um, on the smaller side, so we'll see if he's blocked up any. Um, but I, th- I think, yeah, they're just, they're going to be given opportunities, and hopefully, they can you know make the most out of them. Yeah, well, and if there if there's any team that can identify that kind of linebacker, it's got to be you know it's got to be the Ravens. They were the ones who found Bynes, Hartwell, Scott, Sharper. I mean, all these guys are the same build um, and kind of the same mentality. I think Sharper and Scott maybe were a little bit better than that, but I think the thing that the Ravens saw in their roles are ideally what they're looking at when they see Harrison. Um, and so the upside of who Harrison could be is Bart Scott and Jamie Sharper. But I think that the downside of that is very easily Josh Bynes. And if that is what the Ravens get this upcoming year as a rookie out of a third round draft pick, they've got to be, they've got to be thrilled. Um, and we shouldn't forget that Alaka is still going to be potentially on the roster. Um, 
you know, I think I think the the one other thing that is interesting to say, um, but I will. And, and I don't know how you watch for this in training camp, but the Ravens have got to get better on special teams this year. Um, their special teams were, by Ravens standards, quite poor last year, in my opinion, um, particularly in kick coverages on both directions and then on punt returns. Um, so I'm interested to see who's going to take the punt return role. Um, I think that's the one area that we will get a chance to watch. Um, I don't know that the Ravens have still, they still haven't drafted a guy that, that, did that right in college and kind of was known for doing something like that. Have they? Um, I, I had to go back and check. I, th- I think Poche has some experience in returning kicks. Um, although he it wasn't something where he was, you know, like a, a dynamic player necessarily. Um, and, but aside from that, yeah, I, I think maybe Duvernay had a few kick returns as well. Um, but I think you're right. It wasn't something that they really addressed. And honestly, I haven't given that much consideration to it, but, I think it was an area that was, you know, kind of a concern last year. They they went through a couple of different returners and neither of them were, you know, that impressive to me. So I assume they have a plan in place for what they're going to do, both on the kickoffs and the punt re- returns. Um, and then also in the coverage units too. I think that's part of what you were talking about in terms of special teams. I think that there was, a, I mean, we there was one, was it a Bengals game where they let off the opening kickoff for a return um and they, they had a few other coverage lapses as well so it, it'll be interesting to see who makes this roster kind of strictly as that special teams guy I, you you mentioned uh, alaka i think he and board might be um you know in competition to to kind of fill that fourth linebacker he's also going to be a coverage guy on, on special teams you know obviously um you have players who are like the third tight end. That's also, you know, a, a big um, player who's going to be involved in special teams, um, the backup cornerbacks, backup safeties. It's really, those are kind of what makes you stand apart from everybody else um, and get, gets you on our NFL roster if, if you can excel in special teams. And hopefully I know that the Ravens have, you know, made some changes to the coaching on on special teams as well with, with Jerry Rosberg retiring. So it's, it's kind of going to be, um, a real question mark as, as to how the Ravens look on, on that side. I mean, we know that they have the kickers, um, but do they have the rest of the, the unit? As long as I don't have to watch DeAnthony Thomas let punt sail over his head while he's standing on the 14-yard line like 10 times again next year in like what seemed like three games that he was with the Ravens, and then when he finally caught it, fumbled the ball, I will be happy. I, I was – I couldn't believe that the Ravens brought that guy back. Um, but I think one of the interesting names in that whole mix potentially could be Justice Hill. I mean, for a guy that's looking to fight his way into a roster spot that has top end speed and, you know, based on the way that everybody talks about him, has the vision that you want out of a running back. Um, he's the, he's a guy that should be able to get out in the open field and return kicks. And, and everyone's saying, OK, well, we got to get him touches in the open field. Well, he should be able to catch the ball. He's they want him to be a receiver and a James White like guy. Um, you know, the Ravens should give him, give him a crack at that, that spot. Cause you know, I'm looking over the roster and, you know, other than Chris Moore, um, there's not, you know, and there's two slot guys that you were talking about, but those guys are more punt returners than kick returners. Uh, I don't think they're going to even get a shot at kick returning beyond that. There's just, there just isn't a guy on the roster, you know, mate, you know, I, I checked Geno stone didn't return kicks, but you know, Obviously, good hands as as kind of like a return guy. I think he's going to get a spot as a gunner. Um, 
but I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't see another guy that, that is going to have a crack at that. And so it's a little surprising for the, a Ravens team that seemed all the way up until what was the guy from Utah's name, Clay, um, all the way right up until they signed him and he had returned that punt for a touchdown. It seemed like they could always just fill that spot of, of punt returner and, um, and, and it worked. And then the Cyrus Jones experiment started and then we got D'Anthony Thomas and it just, it just feels like really for the last two years at punt returner, the Ravens have not had other than when they had great blocking, not had a dynamic guy returning the ball. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you and justice Hill definitely could be that guy. I think, especially on kick returns, we saw him in that role last year a little bit. Um, I think he had a couple of nice returns and a few that were not very nice. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, um, but you're, you're right. You know, he has, he has a lot of the characteristics that you look for um, that short area burst. He's got, you know, kind of the compact frame um, long speed too. So that might be the guy that they're looking to have uh, between him and, and Chris Moore, maybe as the kick returner. And then the punt returns, maybe it's, it's per se, maybe they're going to try and, and give justice Hill some looks there too. Um, yeah, it looks like he had 12 returns for 227 yards. So an average of less than 19, that's just under eight and a long of 46. So that's probably yeah. the, remember it. I think, yeah, I definitely remember that one uh, long return being really impressive. I think he might've had another one that was called back with penalty too, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but yeah, I'm sure you were, you were jabbing me in the side when Justin <laughs> was doing well. So <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's only a, f- a few of those times that we could look at. So I have to make the most out of them. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting kind of question. And I think I'd like to see Justice Hill maybe take on a bigger role in there. I honestly don't know about the punt returner. It's going to be interesting to even hear who's in the mix for that. I think that's something that we don't really know. I guess the Anthony Thomas will, would be that guy right now. Um, but I don't see him making the roster. Um, yeah. So I, don't, I, I hope don't not. I hope not. <laughs> and I apologize to any D'Anthony Thomas fans <laughs> or family members out there listening to this. I was just particularly, you know, for a position where it seems like the the 54th guy on most rosters, or at least 54th in past seasons, was a guy that might have some skills as a return guy. Um, it feels like that should be a spot that the Ravens should be able to, to fill if they're not going to have a guy that's duplicated um, into another role doing it. So... I mean, I think we got some interesting lines coming in here in training camp. I think we're both excited about what this is going to look like. Um, you know, the, it's going to be interesting to see how the news makes its way out of training camp and and how we're supposed to kind of follow everything. Um, but I'm excited. So James Prochet returned kicks and punts during his four-year SMU career. And he had a 9.6 average on punt returns as a senior, which is top five in the nation. So he has some talent there. Um Good. That that's what I want to hear. That might be the guy that is going to fill that role. And that's definitely, uh, I think, a possible improvement over DeAnthony Thomas. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think we're both just looking forward to hearing some actual football news, uh, Ravens news in particular. Um, maybe next time when we, when we have one of these podcasts, we'll have something that has actual – you know, interesting things to talk about aside from just, uh, you know, hypotheticals. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing some stuff. Um, I'm sure you are too. Yeah. 
Well, hopefully we'll hear some good news. Hopefully it's not too uh, purple tinted glasses in that process as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, we've got training camp. It's ready. I'm excited for where this thing's going to go. I'm disappointed a little bit that we won't have some preseason games to pick apart. But um, but hey, I will take a football season without preseason coming up. So check us out, guys. BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. You can read our articles there. Um, you can join us on the forum. You can find me and Gabe on Twitter. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. He's at Gabe Fergie. Let us know what you want to hear about. There's there's going to be plenty to talk about coming up on the season. Um, and thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks, guys.